We'll hit that switch and we start. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 through 18 today. And we, we carry on our brother Jonathan's message last week. Thank you, Jonathan, for that. And we continue the idea of the necessity of the incarnation. And this was a, a great study for me. And uh, like Pastor Gary said one time, you really don't know a, a passage till you study it. It's really true. Mm-hmm. And uh, you never think much of, you know, we know about the incarnation. We know basics. We, we can all say what it means, sort of. But boy, when you start to look into it, you're fascinated with the wisdom of God and why the incarnation? Why did it have to happen? Why did he become a man? What was, what was the point? And um, you see the love and the mercy and the wisdom involved in it. And, and just to kind of carry on what um, Jonathan was saying is, couldn't it have done a simpler way? Couldn't God have just... I like to think, um, why didn't Christ just come down in a golden chariot and, uh, at the proper time and come down and snap his fingers and say, uh, the debt is forgiven... Uh, now believe in me. I am the I am the savior of the world. Believe in me, and the elect shall be saved. And he he rides back to heaven on the golden chariot. Why, why does it have to be that? Why couldn't he wave the hand? One writer said a wave of the hand and just fixed it. Why was it necessary the coming human form to become a baby to live a life of a man? And some people even mock the, the gospel, they call it the, the gory gospel, the gospel of gore. Why the blood? Why the torture? Why the suffering and the pain? Some call it the Christianity slaughterhouse religion because of the Old Testament sacrifices and even the Messiah uh, dying. I had a sister-in-law, or have a sister-in-law before she was saved, used to say that the, a bloody cross offends her. It's just awful to her. So why why did he come as a man? Well, he didn't come as an angel. We know that from chapter one. Because think about it pretty simply: can an angel? Uh, why why can't an angel's blood be a sufficient sacrifice for sins? How do you know angels have blood? There you go, the golden <laughs> banana. Angels don't have blood. The angels are spirit. God is spirit. God it, he he lives in the spirit realm. We're we're in the physical realm. And he can, of course, angels can come into the physical realm. Uh, but an angel's life would not be sufficient. I, even I, Michael, the archangel, the angels, an angel's life is not sufficient to pay the debt that is owed to God. An angel is, again, this proves the deity of Christ, doesn't it? Is evidence for the deity of Christ. Only God can pay the debt to rectify the debt against himself. And that was done through God the Son. An angel's, an angel's death couldn't suffice. An angel's life could, wouldn't be enough. That's why it had to be the incarnation. We want to appreciate the humanity of Christ. Um, so let's read verses, uh, I think it's 14 and 15, 14 through 15, yes, to start. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And another, I'm going to read a couple of translations. One's in ASAB, and then one is a little more uh, literal. It says this, Since therefore the children are shares of blood and flesh. Does anyone's uh, Bible say blood and flesh? Or flesh? flesh it does say blood. Not flesh and blood, blood and flesh. Blood and flesh? Because that's the actual translation. I'll tell you why, maybe in a minute. 
Since therefore the children are shares of blood and flesh, he himself also similarly participated in the same, in order that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might release these, as many as by fear of death through all their lifetime were subject to slavery. Little, see the picture there of slavery, enslavement, and release, and things like that. So first of all, just this is just an off note. This doesn't... The commentators weren't agreeing, but it's just interesting that the, ter- the phrase flesh and blood occurs three times in the New Testament. Blood and flesh occurs twice uh, in, that, in the reverse order, blood and flesh. Not actually positively why, but there's a possibility. The difference is that in the term uh, flesh and blood, it's referring to the weakness and the fallenness of humanity, flesh and blood. But to say blood and flesh is referring to simply the fact of hum- humanness, humanity, of a physical substance, because Christ was sinless, and it's not pointing him towards, you know, he's weak in flesh and blood. Uh, the t- so the two terms that refers to blood and flesh the first time was in Ephesians, referring to the spiritual realm, by the way. We don't fight against blood and flesh. We're fighting against powers beyond us. And of Christ, it says, he came uh, in blood and flesh, meaning he simply came in human form. Very Good, Jonathan. What, what version is that? That's saying blood and flesh. What translation? Uh, well, actually, the one I took from copied it from the commentary itself, but um, but that is in the actual um, in the Greek order ah, would be blood okay. and flesh first. But all the so the NASB, the ESV, and all that. Uh, mine blood. actually does say flesh and blood. Also, the NASB says uh, flesh and blood. Oh, okay. Also, but in literal translation, is blood and flesh, which only occurs twice. Now, again, that. Top well, I'm just I'm just thinking. Um, because, I mean, Koine Greek is not written in order, so I'd just be curious about the reasoning why they're right. in order. Right, in true. Obviously, there's got to be some technical. Right, and no one is saying absolutely that's it, but they're saying it, it's possible. They're saying that, one, one writer says, uh, such a distinction is difficult to see, but tend to be supported by various New Testament uses. In other words, when you see flesh and blood, it is referring to humanity and weakness, but when you see blood, only twice, by the way, again. So blood and flesh is not common. It's only twice, and it's both referring to first angels, which are not flesh and blood, uh, blood and flesh, and then Christ, who was human. All right, so we'll let, we'll just see. It just reminds me the humanity that Christ came into, and what he really was going to face, and how our world today. This is kind of an off note. How our world today doesn't appreciate or even understand um, the, how their world is dominated by the effects of God. Like, they, they don't see this in our world. For instance, uh, our world doesn't know why we die, why there's death. We know why. Sin came into the world. Adam and Eve were not meant to die. Uh, so our human race is befuddled and tortured. And this is what this passage says. In slavery to death all their life. Aren't you in slavery to death all your life? I, I've been. I think about death every day. <laughs> don't mean to get morbid, but you'll hear more of that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, death. Death has come into the world. Men don't know it's because of God, because of the fall. There's a, there's a work that's called a curse. You earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Anybody here not have to sweat and the sweat of your brow to have to go to work? Me. I'm retired. Yeah, you're retired, right? It's still hard, right? It's still hard to be retired. Sometimes it's more work to be retired. You got that right. So... Work is a curse in the sense that it, it's, it's effort. It's not meant to be easy now in the fall. So the human race is going to get up tomorrow morning 
or is working today, the rest of the world, and they go trudge off to work, and they don't know this is because of the fall of Adam and Eve. They participate in God's creation. Um, there's, there's thorns and, and, and uh, amongst the roses now. There's seasons. There's hurricanes. Hawaii is getting slammed by a gigantic hurricane right now, or has been. Mark. It's sort of interesting. I was seeing a report yesterday that they had a hurricane and a wildfire going on at the same time out there. Wow. I mean, talk about... Uh, Strange. You know, they, they point to uh, the... Uh, I guess they point to the supposed end times and the terrible oh, yeah. things that will happen. And these things are sort of predicted, I think, in the Bible, but people kind of right. follow that. Right. It's kind of really weird having a wildfire... Could be increasing, you know, in, in, uh, in, in their percentages and everything. So... Um, hurricanes, earthquakes, death. How about um, chance? Men live in a world of chance. We don't know what's going to happen. And you, a tree can fall on you, Randy. We talked about. Or who knows if you're going to make it through tomorrow night? We don't know. So men don't like that God is sovereign or there's a, there's a control beyond us. We don't control. We don't have control. This is the world Jesus came into. Um, there's a conflict between man and woman. There was a conflict in the garden. God talks about the, the, the conflict that might be there between the two. And another one, how about this one? I thought of this. We live in areas and you see a lot of animals. What if, what if the animals and all the insects and all the birds tomorrow could wage war on mankind? Yes, we have weapons. Yes, we could destroy millions and millions of creatures. But just think if every animal was a killer of men. Birds walk out today just attacked I uh, read about some, we have a big white-faced hornet's nest in front of our yard. and they might, They're keeping it themselves. I don't want to tangle with that, well, that nest. But what if they decided to just attack? What if all animals attacked? And it could, it could be a problem, a real problem. But men, why don't animals all attack us? Why does the animal kingdom, for the most part, will shy away from men? Even gigantic creatures, if they can, and they smell mankind, they leave. Why? We have been given dominion over the animals. He put the fear of man in them, mm-hmm. for the most part. Now, of course, we know animals can still, for various reasons, but just think, we, we're, not, we're alive because animal, the animal world will not attack us to kill us constantly. Otherwise, we'd be at war with nature constantly. So these are the things, the life that Jesus came into. So now, why did he have to die? Here's some reasons, the necessity of the incarnation. Sin had been committed in what realm? Where was the Garden of Eden? Physical, spiritual, physical, earthly realm. So think of this argument. If, if the, the sin is in the realm of the human life, and the penalty was imposed where? In the realm of human existence. So how might the penalty, or how might the problem be, have to be rectified? Is in that realm itself. In that very realm where it was caused and it exists, that's a, maybe a reason why Christ it was necessary, the incarnation, to come into our realm. And not only that, who else exists in the realm? It tells us this devil. And who is the devil? Speaking of chapter 1, all this I talk about who? What creatures were we talking about in chapter 1? Angels. And what is really the devil? Really? Maybe the highest angel? Maybe the angel? Above Michael? You know, we, we, we think, we believe. 
So Christ come to into this realm to defeat the very most powerful uh, ruler against God's hand, which would be Lucifer or, or Satan himself, who has the power of death, by the way. Now some are going to say, well, d- does that mean that Satan can just kill everybody when he wants? I'm sorry, Susie. You know, I do find something. <laughs> That wasn't me laughing. For the record. That was Pat LeCare laughing for the record. No, I just thought of something because you you were talking about the realm of the physical and the the world. Just like Jesus had to physically come, Satan came physically too. Mm. That's right. So he had he came in the physical realm too. Right, right. That's where the sin all. That's where it all happened to de- to destroy what God had put into order. His order has been undone. Christ came to restore order and to put to death and to put the power of death away. Satan again is not the one who is sovereignly decides who who's going to die and who's going to live, but through him and his power and authority that was given him, that men have become enslaved to him. The world is under the sway. We've become enslaved to sin, and ultimately, when sin gives forth and grows in finality, brings forth death, and that's where we're heading, all, every one of us. It was his activity that introduced sin. He, ex- he exercises the power of death in that he promotes sin, and he wants men to die. breaks my heart when you see people just dying foolishly today. Children, young people living low, you know, dangerous things, and they die, and it's so foolish. Um... So it says here that, that Jesus would bring it to naught. And it says in verse 14, that through death, Christ, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. To render powerless means to make ineffective. Christ has made inoperative the power that Satan had over uh, mankind to just die and to watch their death and to glee over their death, glee over our, to rejoice over our death, so to speak. It means to bring it to naught, to... Make it ineffective. And how did he do this? By paying the penalty in full and the, and the very grounds of death and Satan's accusations were removed. The penalty was paid fully by Christ and now we have been released from this bondage of the dread regarding death which once enslaved us. And in my version, that literal version in the beginning, he releases us as slaves from the fear of death. It, and again, it says here, he might render powerless him who had the power of death and might release these as many by fear of death who all their lifetime were subject to slavery. So we've been freed from the prison of the fear of death. But still, I think about death. Not to be morbid. How many children we have? I hope they're not going to get depressed. That I think about death every day. I love about you. It's constant. And as I get older and... I say, think of this. There's a little, little bit of depression for you here. In, it. in a light way, because I'm saying about the Lord and the joy of eternal life, and this life is a vapor, is that if I live to be 80 years old, if you live to be 80 years old, you have 29,200 days. 29,200 days. I am around the corner from 21,850 days. That shocks me. Of 29,000 days, and I'm already at 22,000. Wow, that's if I live to be 80. If if I live beyond that, amen. Todd? Uh, as a Christian, though, um, I'm with you. I, I, Jerry and I have had this conversation. We think about death a lot. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the accountability aspect as well and all that. But 
You know, a man will not often consider his days because God will fill him with the gladness of his heart. Amen. Oh, amen. Hey, I rejoice. Because of the gospel and regeneration, we are we are a different being compared to the rest of the unsaved world and, and what death. Well, like Paul, I think of Paul, you know, I'd, which is better? I'd rather be home with the Lord. He goes, but what's better for you that I stay? So you're right. I'm just pointing out the reality of the mortality, the 800-pound gorilla in the room mm. that, like the, the, the world calls it, the king of terrors. Mm. It's just fascinating to me. I, like I say, I don't mean to be morbid, but I cannot believe I will die. This is what I know. <clears throat> this is my... I'm born in the physical realm. I have... How can I die? How? My spirit will go on. You're right. Amen. And we'll have beautiful bodies and new bodies. But still, to, to know that... The, and for people to die, and they seem to die so quietly so many times, and, it's, and to leave behind just the horror that death means. Uh, Mark, you, you do you have any hand uh, It just occurs to me. Uh, I can't say that I think of death every day. I, but it, when you're confronted with it, it's it's... It's interesting. Uh, my mother died back in December, and I was just talking to my sister yesterday about this, and I said, you know, God is very gracious in the respect that he prepared us for like two or three years before she died. Mm-hmm. And when she died, it wasn't a shocking, tragic struggle. Mm-hmm. She simply faded. And I thought to myself, you know, this is the demonstration of God's grace mm-hmm. right. in that he brings his Christians through that experience in a way, and to me, it was demonstrated. I mean, she essentially taught me how to die. Yeah, he did. God, and she yeah. simply faded away. He may spare us from a, a lot of those things. You hear about people, you know, have struggles, and I'm sure there is at the, at the very end. But God is gracious. Paul, Paul said, the, "Though the outward man is wasting away, this is what like Tar was saying. The outward man's wasting away, right, every day. But the inward man's being renewed day by day." Well, yeah, you know, I'm 74, and I'm I don't feel 74. Right. We don't. Don't act I feel like 11 old. years old, right? <laughs> <laughs> my, my spirit, I feel like a... And, uh, yeah, I look 74. Yeah, well... Out of jail for 75. See, the, the, the thing is that uh, the reason I look 75 is because he looks 85. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Sorry, Todd. Right yeah. into that. But the, the, but the point that I want to make is that I, I do think of death, and I see people dying around me. I see people younger than me dying. John McCain died yesterday. Right, right. And, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, some some of the deaths bother you. When I think of myself, I know I'm going to die. I know I'm near it. I'm not that far away from it. I'm okay with it. I have no fear of death. Amen. I'm comfortable. Right. And I, I know that uh, it's not like I would say, oh, I can't wait to die. Right, right. I can right. wait. Sure. I'm not rushing this. But when it happens, right. I'm going to be at peace. Right. And I'm at peace now with the concept. Amen. There's, and there's nothing wrong with a long life and wanting a good long life. God blessed Abraham. He gave, no. gave others a good long life. And then to be with the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Amen, right? But to, to just conclude this portion of the fear of death, someone, this con- one writer said, Fear is an enslaving thing, and people gripped by the ultimate fear of death are in a cruel bondage. And, and a guy I worked with, he, he's, he's still married. This is my job I got laid off from. But um, his wife was constantly, everything that happened to her, she was going to die. 
She'd get a bump. I'm going to die. She'd, she'd get something. She'd cough the wrong way. i got to go to the doctor. i got to get an MRI. She was constantly working. And she's as healthy as a horse, I think. She still is. And she looks great. What's her name, Winnie? And no. And, uh, but constantly fearing death. Constantly. And yet, yet she's already made it to 63 or so. And she's just constantly fearing death. Um, because it's so real. All right. And so the Bible tells us, the New Testament tells us, 1 Corinthians 15... Uh, 54 through uh, 56 death where is thy victory O death where is thy sting and it says death is swallowed up in victory in Revelation 1 chapter 1 verse 17 18 Christ says that he was dead he says I was dead and I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and Hades Christ holds the keys he's the He's the keeper of those keys. And he opened the way and he defeated death. And so to, to elaborate now more on this um, incarnation, why did he? Why was he incarnated? To aid men, he says in verse 16, it says, For assuredly he does not, Christ does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. So it wasn't to angels that he, was, he had come to help. Again, we see the superiority of Christ to angels. Um, it's interesting. The King James Version. Anybody have King James? That that translation is is actually probably not so accurate because the King James in this verse says um, he took on the nature, but that's not what this means. It probably means what your version says to help or to give aid. It does mean that. The word was used three different examples when when Jesus caught Peter as he began to sink while walking in the water, and Jesus took him up. It says, when he took the blind man by the hand in order to heal him, he took his hand. And when he took the man with dropsy so as to heal him, he took him. So it's not talking about taking on the nature. That's already understood. But he came to help. He came to aid. Not angels. Um, he, didn't, he didn't descend to the level of angels and become one of them, did he? He actually descended lower than the angels. The superior one descended lower than the angels all the way down to becoming what? A man, but what else did he become? That Sin. God had to become. Sin. Huh? Sin. Sin, but I'm talking about his, in, his, in his humanity. He became a man, true human being. But what, what else was he? A Jew. God is not a Jew. He became a Jew. See that? God is not Jewish. God became a Jew because Jesus said, I came first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is where it started, right? You go from Judea unto Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. But he became a Jew to become their Savior and Messiah, which was and is a Messiah who was promised. So, so you, sorry, sorry, Mark. Would you say that, that, that well, God, God select the Jews as, as his chosen nation? Right. That, to me, that would be an exalted position among the nations. Yes. Uh, but... Are you, are you implying that being a Jew was not? Well, the right, according to... the Jews to be an exalted nation. Right, because we're in a transition, right, from the old yeah. covenant to the new, and which is superior? The new. There's no more Jew nor Greek, bond or slave, male nor female, one in Christ. So being a Jew had its purposes. Like, like Paul even says, no, 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 to the Jews became the promises, the patriarchs. Yeah, that's all true. But it's a transition away now... With the Gentiles who were promised, by the way, that's why it's talking about Abraham's seed. The word there literally is seed. It's, it, some versions say descendant or descendants, and that's true. But we're not sure if he means just Jewish seed, progeny, 
Or does he mean Abraham's seed by faith, including Gentiles? Maybe either way is good. I mean, I, of course it's referring to Gentiles as well. So Christ, Christ became a Jew to, uh, to begin his, his purpose, and that's where his mission began, so to speak, on the earth, is as one in the house of Israel and their king. He became their king as well and was their king. So it's not the angels that need to be saved, although there are fallen angels, but the angels are not the redeemed. Right? Angels are not bought with a price. We are bought with a price. Uh, angels are a different group, a different species, so to speak. Um, so, so this is, uh, again, a reason for the incarnation. Another part of the incarnation was his suffering was necessary to qualify him as a merciful and a faithful high priest. Let's read verses um, 17 and 18 then. It says, Therefore he had to be, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted, in that which, in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And an, another more literal version, Therefore he ought in all things to be made like his brothers, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, in order to expiate the sins of the people, for whereby he himself has suffered by having been tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So, in the gener- and this is the for the incarnation. It says it's interesting. Many our English is not so always powerful enough to relate to what it's saying. It says here he ought to. Some versions say he had to. Right? That's a little closer. Had to. The, the word there is actually. And, and the phrase means that he owed it, which at first I get offended by it because I'm like, Jesus didn't owe us anything, right? He wasn't obligated. But it does. It means that it's an owed thing. He <coughs> owed it. He owed the incarnation. Why did he send? Of course not. Why did Jesus owe? And, and it really means it's a financial word, which means it's used of debts. Je- See, now we're seeing the picture. He owed it. He had... He had to pay the debt. That's what this is really saying. When it says he had to, it's saying he owed it. And who else could pay it? Mark? Yeah, well, that's the question I was having was no one else could. Right. He's the only one that could do that. Amen. Not an angel. An angel can't pay for our sins. Would, you, would it be more correct to say it was owed and he paid it? That's possible. Rather than say he owed it? But I th- that's a good point. But I think the emphasis is really on him now because we're we're focusing on him. I get what you're. you're no, no, I, yes, I, I agree that. But it was owed, and that's correct. I mean, that's correct what you're saying. But I think the emphasis here is all on him. The incarnation yeah. had to be so because who else could owe it? Who else could pay it? Only he, the only one who could pay it. Not an angel. Not even Michael, the great archangel, the prince of Israel, Mark Angel, could do was helpless to pay our redemption. Uh, someone wrote, the nature of the work demanded the incarnation. It demands it. It demands the incarnation. He had to become, it says, like his brothers. So that, and now we're seeing, and, and don't forget this beautiful continuation, which is often missed by Christians today. And they, they stop, you know, Jesus died for my sins. Amen. <laughs> Jesus died so I could be saved. Amen. But does it end there? No. Well, we go to heaven. Well, wait a minute. What about in the, in the meantime? What about now? 
There's something happening now. He is like his brothers in order to become a merciful, and that's the first part, and a faithful high priest. Um, a high priest represented men to God. Right? And so one who has not understood the infirmities of his brethren cannot be a faithful representative to God. That makes sense, wouldn't it? How, how many things have you learned from others' experiences or your own experiences so now you can represent your experiences to them and say, I know what you're going through. Whereas if we haven't experienced it, we, we don't often can relate so much. But Christ knows what we're going through. Um, we see here that and, and actually it was Tony brought this out last week a little bit that as a high priest he represents um, men to God as a prophet a prophet represents God to men so Jesus was prophet, priest and king wow so he's the whole package yeah. he's not only the representative of men to God but God to men and king all of it. An angel can't do that. An angel is not God. So again, the argument, we can prove the deity of Christ. Also, listen and remember when Jesus said, "It's now you understand a little bit better. It's better for you if I go away. Everybody, you know, why are you leaving? We need you. And we tend to think, well, it's geographic, you know, being a human in body form. He's limited to time and space. But he could do all he wished if he wanted to. But he said, it's better for you if I go away. The first reason we read is why. Why is it better that he went away? Send the Holy Spirit. Right, send the Holy Spirit. But why else is it better that he... And that's big. That's, of course, amen, the Holy Spirit. But why else? Huh? So I can go start my ministry as high priest. Begin, not that he had to begin it, but I will function as your high priest if I stay... I can't be your high priest. I have to go bring my... Tony, bring my offering. I go and prepare a place for you. Yeah. It was so, it's better for us if he went away. It surely is. It's very good for us. It's very beneficial. Because you're not the mediator as well. Yeah, we'll see that. Mark? He intercedes for us. Right, right. Right, he begins the ministry towards us. Right. Excellent. And this is what hit me about the Incarnation. See, I, I'm learning every day too, just like we all do. Thank God for the Word that's living and active and expanding constantly as you apply yourself to it. So we find that since, he, since it was many would help, particularly Abraham's seed, he'd become a high priest. And of course, the Jewish believers, don't forget this book of Hebrews is written to Jewish believers who might be thinking of going back to the old ways. And he's saying, look how superior Christ is. And you want a high priest? You want Aaron? This is greater than Aaron. This is, and he'll go on. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Melchizedek. He's greater than than all these things. He he's the he's the li living high priest. He in Hebrews. Matter of fact, if you you're in chapter two, but if you just quickly go to Hebrews chapter eight, verse one and two, and these will be covered later on through the book as we go. You'll see it again. But Hebrews chapter 8, 1 and 2 says, Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in, in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which the Lord has pitched not man. Now that's fascinating. And then chapter 9 and verse 11 and 12 
He says, But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place, once for all having obtained eternal redemption. Wow. When I first started studying this thing, I thought, wow, is there like a sanctuary in heaven? Is this like a literal sanctuary that he's in? And, he, and, and, he, and it says about Moses that Moses caught, was given. It, it actually doesn't say it in Exodus, but it does say that Moses was given a pattern of what to, to copy the tabernacle after. And the Hebrews tells us that it was a copy of the one in heaven. So we don't, but many commentators, and I, after a while I'd start to think, yeah, we can't take this too far. I don't mean that it isn't there, so to speak, but the idea is not so much is there, you know, showbread and, and, and candles and things like that and holy places as much. And that's why it's so ridiculous people <laughs> talk about a new temple today. This temple, you know, the Dome of the Rock and all dispensational is crazy. Because this is done. This is finished. He's ministering as high priest now. We don't need another temple and some to show us a memorialize something. We don't need that. So that's why it's so foolish to, to think that. But I don't say that it's a literal temple, per, uh, a tabernacle per se, as much as the emphasis again is on Christ ministering. Because someone brought up a good point when the commentator said, well, uh, if, if we're saying that Jesus had to go bring his blood to the Father as an acceptable sacrifice to this holy of holies in heaven, which could just mean all heaven itself, a sanctuary, um, what about the end? Didn't, wasn't the cross sufficient? I thought that was a good argument. His death on the cross was enough. He didn't have to wait to go bring his blood to the Father and present himself and say, this is my blood. What We wouldn't have been saved in the meantime? I, I don't know. I mean, that's not the point. His death on the cross was enough. But then he, he, he says to me, don't hold me back you know, to the, to the sister. Let me go to my father. And he, We don't know exactly how it all, how it all works, obviously. But, um, but he's now ministering. And it's funny because it says... That he sits at the right hand of God, but it says, and he ministers in the sanctuary at the same time. So he sits as a king, but he's still a high priest again. So we're seeing all three roles in, in Christ, so to speak. Um, and, and like we were said, interceding. That, that's really something I wanted us to look at as you, when you're leaving, and maybe God can help you focus on it by the Holy Spirit. The twofold, at least twofold ministry of Christ. Now it says here, um, how many says to make it in verse uh, 17 to make atonement for sins? Many versions say that, doesn't it? Mine says. Yes, I'm sorry. Chapter two. Propitiation. Okay. Anybody says atonement? Anybody have expiation? Expialidocious. Um, and and I, I don't have time, nor do I have the wherewithal to explain fully the atonement and all the things that go with the atonement. So suffice it to say if I can, and, and these scholars here today hope may have to correct me, but the atonement, in, you know, it's a general word, phrase, not really used in the New Testament too much, referring to what, what does atonement mean in the most general terms? To make one? Okay. To pay a price? Uh, not really. Not really. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a general term, but it has aspects, is what I'm trying to say. You say to atone is to like there, that's involved in the atonement. You're right to to pay a price. It would be right. But what does atonement in general term mean? 
Okay, that, that's included. Mm. And literally, <coughs> what is it? Covering. Exactly. And it's funny, covering. And it's one of the rare words <laughs> in the Hebrew that, that actually models and mimics our English word, kafar, which means to cover. The mercy seat, covering. That's why the Old Testament sacrifices were insufficient because they only covered. They didn't really take away sin. Remember the blood? It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That's why you're going to see in Hebrews later a more fascinating idea of, of the sin having to be taken away. And only Christ can take away the sin and with it guilt. Which the Old Testament hearers would still have guilt even though the sin was placed. Wasn't that more of a prelude for us to understand the importance of a blood, a blood offering because Christ right. would eventually... Exactly. Okay? Yep. It was not necessarily... You, you know, yeah. God did tell us that right. uh, they had to pay by blood, but... It was a prequel. <laughs> You're right, it's a prequel. It was a showing us what was going to happen and that it was insufficient. And, and Paul, even in a degree, doesn't make put down the old covenant and the sacrificial system, but he says it was useless. It was useless. It really was. It was never meant to be the final end. And, of course, the Jewish people couldn't understand, really, until it happened. So... But it says here to expiate in this little translation, which means to propitiate, which really means to take away what someone said, anger. To take away wrath. So atonement means the covering, which would include the taking away of wrath after. But where does it really begin? And Titus 3.5 tells us this. Through his mercy, he saved us. It begins with mercy all the time, right? To take away God's wrath begins has to have mercy involved. And that's what expiation and... Actually, the word here in the original language for propitiation means mercy. It means mercy, but it is referring to a mercy of appeasement, of a taking away of wrath. So the propitiation means to take away the wrath of God. And it says to in order to expiate the sins of the people... And it doesn't say leadership, it means the whole people um, to take it away. Again, so mercy begins. Mercy is the beginning point of God's work with His people. Isn't it always? And by mercy, He bears with us and His long-suffering. Otherwise, like, like the Scripture says, otherwise, Jacob, you would be consumed. Right? In the Old Testament. Otherwise, Jacob, God is, God is merciful, otherwise you would be consumed. So, He takes away wrath and secondly... The twofold ministry, and there's many ministries, I'm just naming two right now. The twofold ministry of Christ take away wrath, bear the sins of the people, take away the anger of God, and to serve as high priest continually and forever. How, so, how does Christ, how, how does he serve us today? How does he serve God today? That's interesting. He can't die on the cross again, he can't be resurrected again. How does he minister today? How does he serve in the sanctuary at the right hand of God? What does he do? Huh? Right, intercedes, right? That's the main thing. He guides. The Holy Spirit prays. The Holy Spirit prays and God knows the mind of God. The Spirit knows the mind. The deep things of God. Interceding for us with prayers that cannot be understood. But Christ intercedes for us. He inter- but he interceded in his earthly life. You remember what he said to Peter? He says, Peter, this is going to happen. He goes, you're going to do this. He goes, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. He prays for us. 
intercedes for us, gives us strength and power. That's sometimes hard to believe, doesn't it? it? You feel like you're all alone and you feel like you're at your wit's end and you're going to collapse. And to think that the high priest today is ministering for you and interceding for you and the Holy Spirit praying for you within you, seeking out things that you can't even understand. How much we have that we're not even aware of that we should be so thankful for. And he had to live this life himself of course, it tells us, that to become a faithful high priest, he had to know what we're going through. So it says here that he had the standpoint of personal experience. And we as sinners, we can confidently entrust ourselves to this high priest. And it wasn't easy for Christ. We, we tend to think of Christ as suffering at the cross only, or m- mostly. But he suffered his whole life. He suffered as one who did the will of God. You know, even his own brothers mocked him. Remember, you go. Don't hide yourself. Go. I mean, he lived the life you and I lived. And don't think he wasn't tempted in all ways that we are. You know what it's, You know how many temptations there are. Mm-hmm. To think that he was tempted in every way that a man can be tempted or a woman can be tempted. Man or woman or child. He knows all these things. See, and an angel can't help us. Angels couldn't help us to understand temptation. Angels couldn't bring... All angels did was brought messages. They were faithful postmen. And I mean that with respect. They were messengers from God. And they would aid. They would bring power to defeat enemies. But that was their limitation and they understood it. Angels can't help us. Angels can't be examples to us. Angels can't lead us by example. I mean, we know they love God, but... And another thing is an angel can't suffer... For sins as only the God-man could do. So angels were very helpless in that respect. And no one was blaming them. That wasn't their function. It's not an angel's function to become redeemer and to suffer. Only God could do this. That's why we know him. That's why the angels worship him. That's why the angels uh, give him honor and extol him. Because they know who he is. They know he's God the Son. They they know everything. The demons know who he is. Remember? We know who you are, Son of God. Please help us. Release us into this herd, this herd of swine because we know you can. And have mercy on us. The demons begging for mercy. Have mercy on us, they beg. And this is the first mention of Christ as a high priest but it's going to be further mentioned along. The Jewish readers would understand that. And again, atonement, which means to cover um, and to propitiate, to take away the anger of God. And so, in a sense, we can't say that the atonement does bring about expiation or propitiation, take away of anger, but it begins with mercy. So he's a, merc- he's a merciful and a faithful high priest to us. And the Jews would understand in Leviticus 16 about the two goats. You remember the... I, I thought it was... I always wondered why. I don't, I don't wonder why. I think I, I can guess why. Why wasn't the, the the scapegoat ever used as a Christ type, a illustration of Christ? Anybody have an idea for that? Seems to be like a Christ, right? The scapegoat. But it's... As you read about... Because there's two goats. You remember the first one is sacrificed for the sins of the high priest and the people. And then the second one, the hand is placed upon the goat and it's sent off into the wilderness. Perhaps. Sin bearer. Perhaps, perhaps because Christ is the good shepherd who is mm-hmm. over the sheep 
and we look at the goats as the negative. Right. Could so could be that. We don't know. And and if you look at the idea of the scapegoat, it very, really doesn't fulfill the ending of anything that matters in a sense of redemption, really. So I'm not surprised that this the scapegoat is never used in the New Testament as a type of Christ or at all. It just does it's not the same thing. And it's also part of the old covenant, which is insufficient. You remember that? So Christ would be fully sufficient. And only Christ could actually take away God's anger. Uh, and it was through God's mercy. So, as the high priest, we see again the twofold. He suffered his whole life, not only on the cross. First Peter, so it said Hebrews 2, but just skip ahead a couple of... See, First Peter, a couple of books. First Peter 2 and chapter 20. Uh, excuse me, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. And he says about us and Christ, the example of Christ, he says... Um, for what credit is there when you sin and you are harshly treated and you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer, if you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called to this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore out our sins in his body on the cross, that we, notice this, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's not anything about forgiveness of sins for salvation, is it? This is talking about our life now. See that? So that you might be sanctified and become like him, it says in verse 24, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We're to follow his example as he lived to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you turn to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He's the example. He's the faithful high, high priest. And he underwent all the temptations like we said. He can assist us uh, in, the, in the sanctuary. Someone wrote, and I thought this was a good point. Was Christ a martyr? And this is a little you know skidding words so to speak was he a martyr and yes or no and why you might you might have a part of that right I'm not saying it's wrong or right all the way but I, I have a better take someone not me I, I got from someone else I have to admit but religions have martyrs right all religions have a martyr it seems do the martyrs always want to die no some do <coughs> are they do they do anything by their death do they fix anything what, what is a martyr go ahead Maureen but the first martyr was Abel slain by the unbelieving brother mm -hmm. and that's what you find all the time is the evil the evil ones that kill the righteous ones and therefore they, I consider them Martyrs. Right, that's true. Read, Mar read, read Fair Sunshine. Right. Oh my gosh. Right. And what, this, what the Scottish people went through in the 1600s. Right. And uh, people that, that sure. were they willing were. to die, they were taking their stand and. Amen. And and they and they do deserve honor. You're right about that. And, and Hebrews 11 talks about the hall of faith there, and they deserve honor. And many were martyrs, right? Son and half, and 
living in dens and things like that. But it's ironic that today that many uh, of the radical Muslim, we call them, might call them, die and willing to die and want to die because what? They'll be a martyr. But in the New Testament, what's interesting is the word martyr is used a lot, but it just basically means to witness. It means to witness. You're a martyr means to witness. So, But here's, here's the point I guess I was trying to make, which I thought was kind of fascinating. One man said, one man wrote and he says, that religions have their martyrs. Christ was not a martyr. He was the Savior. See the difference between a martyr and a Savior? So the Savior didn't have to die. He wanted to, he died on purpose. Remember, for this reason I came. But not as a victim, right? He never was saying, oh, it's going to, I know this is going to happen. It's going to end up like this. I can see it coming. No, he said, for this reason I came. He said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He said, for this hour I came. But that doesn't mean he didn't suffer. That doesn't mean he, in the garden he didn't sweat drops of blood because he faced every ounce of temptation and, and, and anxiousness that we face without sin, without doubt. In the nature of God, Christ was so willing to surrender himself for us. In the nature of man, Christ asked in the garden, can this cup pass from me? And yet he was willing because he was always willing to do the to subject himself to the will of God, the Father. Amen. But in the nature of man, I do believe that he was apprehensive. Only in the nature of man. He knew all his life what was going to happen. But when it came, he asked if this cup could pass from him. But nevertheless, not thy, my will, but thy will yeah. be done. Yeah. And, we, and we're like that a lot. Not to be equal to Christ, so to speak, but that how many times we don't want something to happen and we still willingly face it. Knowing that he has given it to us. If he's not taken it away, then you walk through it. So, in conclusion then, we see that he's able to render to us spiritual guidance. He intercedes. And by the way, he doesn't have to die again and again and again, thank God, right? It's a one-time sacrifice. And, and that's so cool to know that sins past, present, and future are paid for. But there's, a, but there's a fellowship that can break, right? There's a relationship we still have, not to take away salvation or to lose salvation, but to lose fellowship. And, to, and how do we regain fellowship if we're, when we sin? Right, confess. Okay, if we confess our sins... All confession means is to agree. And sometimes we don't, we don't want to agree, right? Our children don't want to agree with sometimes what we tell them. It's a little bit more involved. I think you have to first acknowledge your sin. I think you have to confess your sin. I right. do believe... The whole act of repentance. Yeah, I do believe right. that you have to also um, uh, ask God for forgiveness, even though we know that the sin is paid for. And then we also have to uh, look... To repent and turn away from that sin. Right. So it's exactly. It's a process. It's, it begins with confession and acknowledgement. And then we'll find uh, later in the study there's a cleansing which is available to the, to the conscience that wasn't available in the Old Covenant system. Mm. So the Old Covenant system is inferior and it's sufficient in that it could not take away the guilt from the sinner. That's amazing. Mm. Whereas in the New Covenant the blood of Christ is able and through the Holy Spirit to take away guilt uh, and, the, and to clear the conscience and to restore a joy and, and a hope. I just want to add something that I just said. It has to be a heartfelt 
confession. In other words, we can just say words. Right, right. But if it, it's got to come from the heart. Right. And that, and that was a grief. Exactly. And that was the problem of the Old Covenant, which it, it, was, it was just an outward act. There were many outward yeah. regulations which could be followed. The Pharisees followed many outward regulations, and it meant nothing. The, the heart was always... And even the Old Testament prophets would start to speak about this. The heart, the heart, the heart. David talked about it. Mm. Ezekiel, I will write it in their hearts. You know, God was transitioning away from the inferior, the temporary covenant, the old covenant, the childlike covenant, to the greater new spiritual. You know, And then and in the New Testament, they say that the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, even foresaw a spiritual worship um, incense offered as thanksgiving, prayers offered up. Even the Old Testament had a had a, a look at the the coming new covenant, which would be from the man's heart, from inside. Mm-hmm. So again, to leave us with this, that we praise God for the incarnation. There's so many more aspects that are so beautiful to it that we should be so grateful and uh, and to remember that He took away just so many people I knew in, in Christianity growing. Uh, through the years in Florida and West Virginia, they would be so thankful for Christ dying on the cross, and that is wonderful. Thank you. But it seemed to end there. They didn't understand or know that Christ ministers today for them. Mm. What a beautiful thing. You're not alone. Someone might say, Christ, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. Thank you, I'm saved, and I'm going to go to heaven. Amen. But don't forget today, He ministers now. He's in the sanctuary now, interceding for you. Never feel alone. Yeah, we're 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 in crisis with the evangelical church. Uh, Michael Youssef said this morning in his sermon, he says only 15 percent of evangelicals believe that Jesus is the only way. Wow, that's true. That is true. That's just that's way way not good. You're right. And how does he get that? Where does he get that They they do questionnaires and surveys of people that claim to be Christian, evangelical, right? Well, yeah, that. there's, uh, what's his name, that he's been doing it for a long time. Barna? Barna. Yeah, yeah. I, I read those a lot. I get magazines that talk about that. You're right. To conclude with the passage, it's Hebrews seven twenty four to 26 just says, uh, but he, on the other hand, if I have it right, yeah, he, who, he, on the other hand, Christ, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence, also, he is able to save Forever, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So it's finally and fully held in his hands, your salvation. And who's worthy of it? Him. And he, and he is faithful and he will see to it that we come to our final end with him. Anybody on last word? We'll close with a prayer. Seth, would you close us in a prayer? Appreciate it.